starting from the basmana and uh, last night we reached the point where we're discussing who were the maqlubi alayhim and who were the ballim. Uh, but it's just a quick reminder and a quick refresher of what the surah entails and some of the points that we took away from it. So we said that the surah starts with what? What, what, are, the, what are the two opinions of what the first ayah of, the, of surah al-fatiha is? Alright, bismillahirrahmanirrahim, this is one opinion. And what is the second opinion? Alhamdulillah. Um, the, the the reasons for both of these opinions are um, basically there are a set of a hadith that from Um Salama radiallahu anha where she narrates that repeat the seven mathani repeat the seven recited verses and the first of them is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim this is one hadith um, the hadith that it goes against this or that challenges this is a hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu where he said that I prayed behind the Prophet and Abu Bakr and Umar and all of them when they recited and they started the recitation for the Salah, for the Jahri Salah they started with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Why is that a proof? How can we say, okay if we said that Anas is saying this that they all started with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen how does that show that the Basmala is not a part of the Fatiha or is not the first ayah in Surah Al-Fatiha? Not just the oh, here, here, let me let me put it this way. Is it possible that they would recite Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Maliki Yomiddin? I stayed silent, yes? I stayed silent for the ayah for Rahman Rahim. I said Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Maliki Yomiddin. I skip Rahman Rahim. Is this a possibility when I'm reciting? No. Why did I skip over that? Or why do we not allow skipping over it? Because not just, no, it's not disrespecting the Quran. It's you're not just changing the meaning. You're removing, you're removing an ayah. So staying silent on an ayah, not reciting an ayah, it means that you don't consider that. But you don't consider it a verse. So when they don't say Bismillahirrahmanirrahim out loud, this shows that they didn't consider it a verse from Fatiha, but it is still considered a verse from the Quran, and it is part of every surah. So what are some of the benefits that we took away from the Bismillah? What are some benefits from Bismillahirrahmanirrahim? Hmm. Alright, it means, right, what is the literal meaning of it? In the name of Allah, the most beneficent, the most merciful, or the most merciful, the most beneficent. And we said that this is an incomplete statement, right? This is an incomplete statement by saying, in the name of Allah. So what does it mean? What is an understood part of, part of speech here? What do I understand when I'm saying Bismillah? I'm starting with the name of Allah, right? I'm, I'm eating in the name of Allah. I'm drinking in the name of Allah. I'm dress, getting dressed in the name of Allah. I'm starting my car in the name of Allah. And what is the reason that we do that? Why do I want Allah's name in all of these apparent actions? Blessing. I'm seeking His blessing and what else? Blessing is goodness. His blessing is goodness. Uh, his protection, we would say, this is the saying "Allahu is closer to that. So, what are the two things? We said blessing for sure. His aid, His help. So whatever action it is that I'm doing, Ya Allah, basically saying, Ya Allah, I'm, I'm say, taking your name, I'm seeking your name in this action because I'm seeking your blessing, meaning that I want the good from this action and I'm seeking your aid in that I'm allowed to complete this. And then we mentioned after this, Allah Azawajal, He uses the word Allah, right? He didn't say Bismil Khaliq or Bismil Hadi or Bismil Wahab. He said Bismillah. Why did He use the Bismillah? Why did He use the word Allah? And why is that appropriate to what we are discussing? What does Allah mean, firstly? Huh? Ilah is deity, right? What did we say Allah meant? The one who is worthy of worship. The one who is deserving of worship. So by saying Bismillah, we are saying what? What am I trying to do and why is this an appropriate way to word that? 
Ya Allah, I am taking your name, seeking your blessing and your aid in this action. In the word Allah, we said it is the being that is worthy of worship, right? So why is that significant when we do these actions? Yes? Okay, that's a very good point. If, if you are worthy of worship, or if this being is worthy of worship, that means he is absolutely perfect, right? Without any type of shortcomings. What else? Yes? Yeah, so that because you want to make this action, whatever it is that you're doing, you want to turn it into a worship for the one who deserves worship. And then Allah he uses Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Why did he follow these two things after that? What did we say was unique about Rahman and what did we say was unique about Rahim? Huh? They both mean the same thing. Okay. Why would Allah repeat himself? Huh? Rahman is for everyone and Rahim is the same. MashaAllah, good. So Rahman is general. Rahman has a general meaning and Rahim has a specific meaning. What is the difference? What general in what sense and specific in what sense? The merciful and the protection merciful. <coughs> that's that's one understanding. Huh. Yes. Okay, so Rahman is for all of the creation and Rahim is only for the Muslims. How do we differentiate that? What is another way of saying that? You had something? Okay, so what can we, how can we differentiate that? Which one applies to guidance, firstly? Rahman or Rahim? One, one is like spiritual guidance. MashaAllah, The other one is just like, the one that gives everything, but not spiritual Like physical sustenance. Right. Alright, so Rahman, this would apply more to the physical sustenance and the physical provisions, and Rahim would apply to the spiritual sustenance, right? So, and from that spiritual sustenance is what? <coughs> guidance. Iman. Hidayah, istiqama, all of these things would apply to that. So by seeking Allah's aid and by seeking His blessing and using the names Rahman and Rahim, we said that I am asking for Allah's aid in this because without His physical aid, without Him giving me this physical provision, I wouldn't be able to complete this action in front of me. And had it not been for Him, I would not have been blessed to be guided to Islam. And this is why we take it. Uh, we also mentioned something that Muhammad Abdu, he, had, he made a very nice point of Allah mentioning three of his names here, right? He mentioned Allah, he mentions Rahman, he mentions Rahim. And uh, Muhammad Abdu, who's, uh, he died, I think, in the mid-20th century. What did he mention about Allah taking these three names? The uh, it's a refu- refutation of the Trinity. Why and how? Yes? Because it's saying that all three names MashaAllah, excellent. So basically we have three different names that represent three different characteristics of Allah, but they all return to Allah Azawajal. Versus what the Christians say. They say there are three different characteristics that apply to three different forms or three different beings. And this is what Allah is saying, no, that is not the case. Just because there are multiple characteristics, just because there are multiple uh, ways to describe these individuals, this does not necessi- necessitate three separate entities or three separate beings. Uh, then we said, um, the next ayah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And what did we say Rabb meant? Uh, the one who maintains, the one who nourishes, the one who provides. And Allah he says Rabbil Alameen. And what did we say Alameen meant? All people, right? All people. Like some, now, uh, Razi, he was very famous for translating it to, يعني, كل ما سوى الله فهو يعني, Anything other than Allah is Al-Alameen. But Alameen, based on what we took from these ayah, Allah Azawajal, who is he talking about here? Is he talking about the jinn? Is he talking about mankind? Is he talking about all of creation? What is being discussed in Fatiha? Humans. Huh? Humans. And their relationship with Allah. This is the entire discussion of the surah. What is our relationship and how do we establish a relationship with Allah? So it's very appropriate and it's very critical to understand that Allah is just talking about people here and He's not talking about all creation. No. So jinn are not involved in that category? No, they are. They are. Because if, if a jinn is reciting this, right? If a jinn is reciting this, he would apply it to all of his tribes and all of the different type of jinn. Because jinn, they're similar to us in, in a few ways. Right? They're similar to us in a few ways. Uh, they have children, just like we have children. Um, they have tribes, just like we have tribes. So for them, for it to apply to them, it's, it can be appropriate and it would be more of an analogy than a direct application. Now, why do we feel that humans should be given precedence? 
Because we're the best of creation. The humans are the best of creation. And that's why they're given precedence. The next ayah are Rahman and Rahim, and we had mentioned what that does and what that applies for. And then Maliki Yomidin. Why did Allah Azawajal precede his Rahmah over the day of Jannah? Yes. Uh, I have heard what I mean, all the uh, all the worlds. Yes. Not just this world. Yeah. So this world, there are other creations. Mm-hmm. Other creations from Yahweh. Yeah. Th- like I said, th- this is a translation that Razi he put forward in his Tafsir Tafsir Kabir. But before him, everybody else translated as people. They translated as tribes and all different types of people. Why? And this goes back to when Bani Israel, they used to talk about Allah. How did they talk about Allah? They would say, Musa, go you, and what? Your Lord. Allah, when he spoke about himself to Bani Israel, he said, Rabbi, Musa, wa Harun. So instead of, you know, instead of applying this category of lordship just to particular nations, Allah subhanahu says what? Rabbul Alameen. It applies to all of mankind, all of the different tribes and all of the different people. It is not select group of people that this applies to. So the Rahmah preceding the fact that he is Maliki Yomindin. Why is that important? Because he disseminates his mercy on the day of Okay. How? Yes. He's the only one that can judge, there's no doubt about that. And, and we said that. The fact that he's Maliki Yomidin, and the amazing thing about this, another benefit from here, if we say Rabbil Alameen, that means he's, he's our Lord where? In this world. And because he's Maliki Yomidin, he's our Lord in the next. Allah. Allah. Yeah. He's our Lord in this world, and he's our Lord in the hereafter. So, but we also said, had Allah willed, he could have said, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Maliki Yomidin, Rahman Rahim. But he didn't say that. This is the order that he put here. Why is this order significant? Or why mention it in this way? Huh? His justice is not absolute and it's not cold. We had mentioned that. And what does that mean? That his mercy overshadows any of the sins or any of the shortcomings. Okay, when it comes to Allah's rights, when it comes to Allah's rights, Allah is willing to what? He's able to not just give us the benefit. He's willing to overlook things. Yes or no? Is any one of us deserving of paradise? None of us deserves. And the only way we're going to get in is through His mercy. And this is why Allah mentions that. But if somebody wronged me, if somebody stole from me, if somebody hurt me, if somebody cursed me, will I get justice on the Day of Judgment? Yes, I will. So Allah he's talking about himself when he says Rahman Rahim, and that he's willing to overlook many of these things and many of these dealings and the shortcomings that we have with him. But when it comes to our individual rights that have been taken from us, then those will be applied. Now, and if I forgive someone in this, yeah, it's like, uh-huh. will it still be judged? If you forgive them, no. Okay. If you forgive them, there's there's no accountability for so them. that. Should be our general. Uh, no, we should we should look to forgive. There's no doubt about that. But but here, it, saying that, no, saying saying that forgiveness is a process, right? Forgiveness is not a switch. If somebody wronged me, right, I can't. You're not just gonna hit a switch and be like, oh yeah, I feel great now, and so everything is okay. It it, it takes time. It takes time, and not just that, because it's a relationship with two people. Both parties need to work to come to a mutual agreement to help facilitate that that forgiveness. No, you can't just go up to someone and say, you need to forgive me. Why? Well, because that's what a Muslim does. Assalamu alaikum. Right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's not how it works. Yeah, that's not how forgiveness works. No, the only reason I said it from, from the other contrary, yeah. 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 You should, you know, we should always be encouraging. We should always encourage each other to be forgiving because this is from the sifat of the moment. This is from the sifat of the believer. I mean, the Prophet sallallahu he never took revenge on for himself, ever. He, sallallahu he never took revenge for himself. Um, so, in, then Allah, He changes the tense, right? He's, he's talking in the third person, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawm Then He changes into the first person. 
He changes to the first person saying, Why does he do that? It, it, it changes into a du'a. That's one thing. And all of a sudden now, when you have this thing, and this is a, this is a tool in Arabic that's called iltifat. It's basically when, when the perspective shifts. When you have this perspective change, it, it is supposed to help the reader keep his focus. It's supposed to help draw his attention. So when you change from that third person to this first person's perspective, it completely changes the narrative and it changes the perspective how we're dealing. Because all of a sudden, Allah you're dealing with him as this distant, distant figure that he is deserving of praise, he is perfect, he is Rahman, he is Rahim, he is Maliki Yom din And then all of a sudden, the perspective changes to, to yourself. And it changes yourself. My relationship with this, with this being, with this deity that was just being discussed. And this is called iltifat. Um, and then we spent a lot of time talking about ibadah. We spent a lot of time talking about ibadah, defining what it is, what shirk is, what tawheed is, and how these things apply. Uh, going back to what you were talk- what we were talking about yesterday, Dr. Sab, um, doing something be- by the sadaqah of the Prophet this is something the Arabs call jah. Jah is the status. By saying, Ya Allah, grant me this because of the status of your Messenger there's a difference of opinion on it. There's a difference of opinion on it. The men, there are many schools of thought that say it's okay. That you're allowed to do that. You can say, when I ask Allah Azawajal, and he said, Bijah and Nabi, by the status of your Prophet, you know, please grant us this. Because you put him in this high status, and this is a way of honoring him. And many of the scholars allow that. And some of the scholars, they say this is not allowed. So I, I just thought I would mention that here. Yes? But even uh, for, uh, for Prophet, you said it's allowed. Is mm-hmm. it allowed for, uh, for his family as well? Like, now, it, it depends. If, if they're living and they're righteous, then it's okay to do that. If they're living and they're righteous, it's okay to do that. But if they have passed, no. This is something that is special for the Prophet ﷺ. And why is it special for him? Because he's the only one that what? He has that status. Can I claim that status for anybody else in the creation? No, I can't. This, is the only, this status is unique, special for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and this is why many of the scholars uh, allowed it. Can you just clarify when can he send salam? We can send salam at any time, any point in time. Any point in time we can send salam on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we spent time on the ibadah. Then after that, Allah subhanahu he spoke about himself. He, told, he talked about ibadah. He talked about isti'ana. And we said that Why did he proceed Ibadah from Isti'ana? Why did he proceed worship on seeking aid? Why did he mention worship first? Okay, you have to worship him in order to seek his aid? Yeah. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Yes. Okay. Huh. I'm sorry. Our purpose is what? The seeking aid or the or the obedience? The ibadah is the purpose, right? And I did not create the jinn and mankind except to worship me. But again, why proceed worship over seeking aid? Okay. And seeking aid. What about it? We can seek aid from others, right? If I can ask somebody for a glass of water, I can ask somebody for a pencil, I can do that. But can, is there sometimes I can worship Allah and sometimes I can worship other than Allah? No, there's never that situation. It, ne- it never comes up. So Allah Azawajal, He precedes ibadah first because ibadah al-mutlaq, yani absolute worship is singularly for Him alone. And the isti'ana, the aid that a person can seek, the only time, ta- what did we say? Where's the, where's the principle that we put? I think, you had, you had mentioned it yesterday, uh, Najmi. What is the principle that we put forth? Huh? If you ask someone for help, mm-hmm. you ask them just as deep as you can, but you're not worshipping that person. So Mashallah, like, huh? If I ask for it to take it, you need a glass of water, I'm yeah. worshipping that person. Okay, good. So, the principle that we put forth, that the isti'ana that's being discussed here, the aid that is being discussed here, is the type that would fall under what? <coughs> Worship. And worship is the general category, and within that we have a subcategory of seeking aid. And this is why Allah preceded one to show that one 
is more general and one is more specific. And he does this in another part, in the beginning of the surah too. Where does he do that? Where one is general and one is specific. Ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And because of all of these characteristics, what are some of the names that are mentioned? Let's go back to the beginning of the surah. What are some of the names that Allah mentioned? Allah, Rahman, Rahim, Malik, Yawm al-Din, and we're missing one. We skipped one. Rabbil Alameen. So these five things, all of these five characteristics, or all of these five names or ways to describe Allah, all of these come together in the dua that we make here, which is? Because you are Allah, because you are Rahman, because you are Rahim, because you are Maliki Yawm al-Din, because you are Rabbil Alameen, you are our Lord, because of all of these characteristics, we cannot achieve hidayah, we cannot seek hidayah except from you. We have no, no masjid, there's no other place for me to turn. And me as a human being, I, I have no place else to turn for guidance. I can't go to anybody else. And Allah He mentions all of these characteristics, He mentions all of these names to show that there really is nowhere else you can turn. Because of these characteristics, I can't go to anybody else. I can't seek from anyone else except Him, Azza wa Jal. And Allah Azza wa Jal, He goes on further to describe the Sirat. How does He describe it? Straight, right? Not just that, what, what else did we say? He describes it as straight and? Okay, clear, uh, well clear, we can say, we can understand that from the fact that it's straight. Okay? How many, how many are there? There's one. There's one path and it's straight. So what can we learn or what can we take away from this? This shows that there are other there are other paths. Yes or no? And because this path is one, and Allah He defines it, He says, As Sirat. That it's a well known path. That this path is well known. And it's mustaqim, it's straight. So one of the things we can benefit from that, like Ramiz mentioned, is that it's clear. And is it difficult or is it easy? It's easy, right? In general, if we think of a, a straight path, do we think of a, a path that's problematic? No. In the next ayah, Allah He says, Right? The path of those who you have blessed. So what else does that tell us about this path? Others have gone through. I'm sorry, what were you saying? It can be deviated at any time. So what can deviate? I mean, the straight path. Uh-huh. It's not guaranteed that it will be, anyone will be straight path for, forever. Oh, for the individuals. Yeah, yeah for the individuals. It, this doesn't guarantee that other people, this shows that there are a group of people who are guided. There's no doubt about that. It shows that there's a group of people who are guided and groups of people who are misguided. But Allah He's mentioned now that this path is known, it's straight, and other people have gone down it. How much more security do we as Muslims want when it comes to dealing with paths, right? When I travel or I go somewhere, these are the ways that we try to choose, right? We try to choose the straightest one, we try to choose the easiest one, and we try to use the most traveled one. Because this bring a sense of safety and comfort to the individual. If I know all of these things, if I have all of these facts, I'm more willing to travel down that path. And then the, then the surah closed with, غَيْرِ الْمَغْدُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ And the, those who you are, not the path of those who you are angry with, or those who are, have gone astray, huh? or are misguided. So Allah He mentions two groups of people here. And we said Fatiha was revealed where? Where was Surah Fatiha revealed? It was revealed in Mecca. And this is very significant. Because who are the people in general who are being addressed in Mecca? The Mushrikeen of Quraysh, right? The polytheists. So Allah Azawajal, who is he talking about here? What would invoke his anger? And what would cause a person to be misguided? And what are some of the context clues we can take away from this surah? Based on what we read here, what are some of the things that we know would make somebody would make a lie angry. Yes. Sir. Uh, not praising him. Okay, not praising him. All right. Shirk. Yes. Shirk. shirk. Mashallah. Good. <coughs> they, but a person who commits shirk or not praising him, these entail two things. They they would invoke Allah's anger, and that person would be what? He would also be misguided, right? 
So we need to learn how to differentiate these, between these two. If we try to look at some of the context clues that are available here, let's see what Allah is saying. Number one, how did he describe this path? He described it as straight. He, he described it as singular. And there are other people, right, who are on it. And what about those other people? What did he say about those people in this, in the verse? They're blessed. These individuals are blessed. How does an individual become blessed? By worshiping Allah. And by seeking His help. It's very difficult just to take away a clear understanding of these two terms and what Allah is talking about just by looking at the context. So if I can't take away something clearly from the context, what do I turn to now? Huh? I turn to the hadith of the Prophet So the Prophet what are some famous hadith that we know that he used to help describe those who Allah's anger is upon and those who have gone astray? How he described the Jews and the Christians. He used them. Now, is that does it singly and solely apply to those two groups of people? No. It applies to anybody who Allah's anger has been upon, and it applies to anybody who has fallen astray. But Allah, I mean the Prophet, he gave us these as examples. This is called tafsir mithali. To give an example to help bring the meaning closer to our understanding. So what is it that the Jews did that would cause Allah's anger? Okay, they worshipped the cow. What else? I mean, there's like, we could go through like a huge list of things that, that they did. Huh? Huh? They created lies about Allah. They changed some of the rules. Yes. Right, they, they would pick and choose certain things. So whatever they did, they did what? Huh? They made Allah angry. There's no doubt. Yes. You're, you guys are all right, but I'm saying whatever they did, they did it what? They did it with knowledge. They did it knowing. There's nothing that they did. They said, oh, you know, oh, we didn't know that. What, they, what would they used to do? Some ayat, they would cover up some ayat. They would d delete some things. They would change some of the rules. So when you are doing that, you're doing it what? Knowing. Knowing. And this is what is unique about that characteristic. And this is what invokes Allah's anger. Yes? So, so, so this day, do they know what they were doing? Wallahu um, alam. Now, I think that would be a case-by-case case scenario. I, I can't say all of them know what they're doing, and I can't say all of them don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that's, that's, it's very difficult dealing with that. But during the time of the Prophet when he dealt with the people of Medina, the Jews of Medina specifically, they knew exactly what they were doing. They even recognized him. You know, they would ask him certain questions, knowing that they themselves didn't know the answer, but that he would know the answer. Huh? father and uncle. No, yeah, no. like Sophia's father and uncle. Sophia. Sophia's father and uncle. They knew exactly who he was. They knew some of his characteristics. They knew what to expect. In, in the easiest proof for all of this, why were Jews in Medina? Like, what, like what, were, what were they doing there? Like, you know, they had no business. Like, they seriously had no business being in the middle of the desert, living in this, this land. They were waiting for the coming of the Messenger. They were waiting for Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They what? What? Why did they reject? Huh? Yeah, he wasn't from their tribe. They knew he was going to be born in the Arab Peninsula, and they saw, they knew that these things were coming, these signs were there, so they moved, and they settled, and they established themselves. And they were just waiting. They said, okay, you know, he's, one of the, our children is going to be, you know, the, the coming prophet. And all of a sudden, they hear this, this guy who lives south of them, you know, from, from these pagan tribes, is somebody rising from their ranks, from the sons of Ismail, not from Banu Ishaq. And all of a sudden, jealousy entered their hearts, and they refused to accept. Yes? That's why you can't. Judaism has its own number one. Judaism, who is Judaism for? I, I was Jews. Uh, <laughs> it's you know like Islam is for Muslims, right? <laughs> no, but Judaism is for Bani Israel, right? Judaism is for Bani Israel. It was a religion that was catered to them specifically, 
And if you go back historically, <coughs> even looking at the stories of the prophets, prophets were sent to who? To particular tribes. Even and did some of the prophets know each other? Yes, they did. Some of the prophets actually knew each other, like Lut salam and Ibrahim salam. They knew each other. When the angels came to Ibrahim salam, Ibrahim was like, "You know what are you guys doing here?" They said, "Well, actually, we were on our way to say Lut, but we wanted to give you glad tidings that your your wife is going to be pregnant, and then we were going to be on our way." And he knew exactly who Lut salam was. So the prophets they knew each other. Isa salam, Yahya the all these prophets they they knew each other, but they never what. Right, they didn't go and give, you know, they didn't say, okay, hey, you know, like how we do khatib swapping, they didn't have like prophet, you know, like prophet swapping, that, that okay, I'm good, let me, let me try, and like, why don't you try with my people, that, that didn't happen, like they would be sent to particular nations, and they would go to those particular nations, but this is what is unique about the da'wah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and this is why he's the best of creation, or one of the reasons, Harun and Musa are also unique, Harun and Musa are also unique, but the the yeah Harun was a unique situation. Yeah. Well, Harun was a prophet, right? Harun was a prophet. Yes. Harun was a prophet. Why? Because Musa alayhi salam actually requested that 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 he be. Um, huh? Yeah, he needed help. Why? Because Musa alayhi salam had a lisp, right? He had a lisp when he spoke, um, and he didn't want to bring the words of Allah azza wa jal. And, and speak with that lisp and speak with that um, with the stutter. So he said, "Listen, my, my brother, he's more well spoken than me. Appoint him also to help me and to aid me and to take the message forward." And every time Musa salam had to go, he had to leave. You know, when he received the commandments, uh, when he went to go see Khidr salam, who did he leave in charge? He left Harun. Right? He left Harun in charge. So that that relationship definitely was unique. But I I don't think Harun received revelation. So that's 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 what is unique about that. Harun salam he did not receive revelation versus Musa salam who was Kalimullah. Allah Azza directly spoke to him. So that that's another unique thing about that situation. And uh, versus other prophets, other prophets it's it's clear that they receive revelation. But as for Harun salam, Wallahu I don't I don't see anything that would even indicate that he received revelation. Now. Okay, so the, the brother is asking when we, when we make the dua, Iyaka na'bud wa Iyaka nasta'in, who is speaking here? The Muslims. The Muslims are speaking. Iyaka na'bud, you alone, we worship. Because the disbeliever, is he worshiping Allah alone? No. So even if a disbeliever were to recite Fatiha, it depends on his atten- intention, yes or no. If his intention was to worship Allah, then he's accepted Islam. But if his intention isn't to worship Allah, he's just reading. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? So, the, the speaker here are the Muslims. There's no doubt about it. And, and Allah, the way he, wor- he says, Na'bud. He says, we worship you. Showing that the Muslims are a community. The Muslims are a group. And the Muslims ask for the for the same thing. Even in the, in a one room, if you ask everybody, you know, the things that they make du'a for, in, how different are the du'a of the Muslims? And we we ask for Allah to increase us in our risk, Allah to give us righteous children. Even when when we have du'a for like taraweeh or qiyam al-layl, the Imam, like ninety five percent of the stuff he says. We agree with, we're like, yeah, I want that stuff too. Which is why we're willing to let him lead and willing to let him make du'a on our behalf. Because if we had an imam who was making all kinds of du'a that we didn't agree with, <laughs> I don't think anybody would want to pray behind them. But in general, you know, we find that the imams, they're making general du'a that are very applicable to us because we're all asking for the same thing. So Allah Azza when we ask him, when we seek from him, and this thing that we seek from him, we're seeking hidayah. In this surah, is there any request for any type of physical sustenance or any type of dunya betterment directly? No. no. The du'a is strictly for what? Salvation. For salvation. This entire surah is simply about hidayah, it's simply about salvation. 
Does that have an impact on somebody's worldly life? Yes, it does. Absolutely. But that's not the direct request. The direct request is eternal salvation in the form of Islam, in the form of Hidayah. So we said that the first group of people, the ones who Allah is angry with, the Prophet gave the example of the Jews, and we said, how does that fit the example, and how can we now apply this generally? Because we have one example where the Prophet put forward. So how do we apply this generally? In general, who are the maghdubi alayhim? In general, who are the people who Allah is angry with? Who intentionally change. Uh-huh. MashaAllah. Those who intentionally change the rulings, those who intentionally change the book, those who intentionally do wrong. These who Allah is, His wrath, His anger is upon them. And like we said, even though these individuals are misguided, but they have an added element. They have an added element to it in that they've also invoked Allah's anger with this misguidance that they've imposed on themselves. And this is something that we really need to learn from. That we don't do anything knowingly wrong. And, and this is a big problem. Huh? This is like the Jews. Yes, this is like the Jews. That's, that's what they did. And that's why the Prophet gave that example. Because it's a clear example. You know, how many times is it repeated in the Qur'an that, subhanAllah, Allah Azawajal, you know, He told them to make sajda and to seek forgiveness from them. And, and they, were, they, didn't, they made sajda, right? They went down, but they made sajda like this because they, <laughs> they were looking at the mountain above them to see, like, make sure that it doesn't drop on their head. This, this is the lack of iman, you know, the true iman that they had. You know, they had a mountain literally floating over their head. And, and Allah Azawajal, He said, listen, just make tawbah, make sajda, I'll forgive you, you know, I have this mountain floating over you so you see my ability and you see my strength. Jacob, just make a istighfar. And they're like, yeah, astaghfirullah. You know, like, and like looking up, subhanAllah. And how many prophets did they kill when they, if they didn't agree with them? Saying that, okay, well, you know, another one will come and Allah will send another one for us. Maybe he'll be better than this guy. Let's get rid of him. Or how many times they would change the rulings, they would change the laws. And the number of times that they've invoked Allah's anger. But subhanAllah, may Allah protect us. So in general, somebody who knowingly does something wrong, this is the one who deserves Allah's anger. And the second group, Dalin, the Christians. Allah, I mean the Prophet, he gave the example of the Christians. So what is unique about the Christians? That's one aspect of it. But it, let's if if we said that the anger is related to knowledge. Is it reasonable to say that the <laughs> right? It's it's reasonable to say that misguidance is related to a lack, not, not just disbelief. Both of them are related to disbelief, right? But misguidance is related to a lack of knowledge, right? Not knowing, not knowing and acting, acting in ignorance. And unfortunately, this is something that is, is very similar to our situation today. How many of us act on ignorance? How many discussions have we either overheard or taken part of and we had no idea what we were talking about? Concerning Allah's things being halal, concerning his things being haram, concerning how to understand Allah, how to understand the importance of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa how to deal with the books of Islam. But we are still we are still so forward, we're still willing to speak about it even though we have no idea what the discussion is concerning or the mechanics behind certain fatawa. Or behind certain rulings. And it's really sad. It's really sad that we recite this surah so many times every single day. And we aren't able to take away these lessons. Allah he spells these things out for us. You want the straight path? Okay, look to those who believed before you, who I've spoken about, who are considered great examples, who are considered beautiful examples. In the examples, I will also tell you on what not to do. With the brevity of the surah, and with how short the surah is, and the seven verses, with how short it is, he gives us a lesson on who to follow, and how to follow, and he also tells us who not to follow. And even with that, we still manage not to take away the lesson that that is there, and we still speak where we have no place speaking. And and it's really sad. It's really sad with the amount of times that we repeat the surah, and the amount of times that, that we look to it. Is it a possibility that maybe we never understood it? And, and that, that is a real possibility. 
And this is a real problem in, in the Ummah today. That we repeat the Qur'an without understanding a single person. And this doesn't mean every single person needs to learn Arabic. That's, that's not a condition. Allah didn't make that a condition. Because even many of the Arabs, they don't understand the Qur'an. Because of the wording, because of the structure, because of their distance from the Arabic language, because of their lack of use of the Arabic in the Qur'an. But the tools are all available. All these books of tafsir, they were written. Why were they written? What is the purpose of a book of tafsir? To help us understand the Qur'an. To help us understand what Allah is saying. And the easiest books of tafsir for us to take in and to understand are, are translations. Because a translation, all it is, is an interpretation of what Allah is telling us. In essence, it's a type of tafsir, but a very, very short one. Just to help us take away, what is the general meaning? What is the meaning of this ayah? And once we have a general meaning of the ayah, why can't we apply it in our lives? Why can't we take it away? Reading a single verse, the meaning of a single verse every day, sitting down, discussing with our families, or even pondering in ourselves, in a car ride, on the way to work, you know, during our lunch breaks, we don't have time to read one eye or two eye or three eyes. We say that this is a book of guidance, but do we really believe that? And are we really implementing it? And I understand that there are some obstacles to understanding it. And some people might say, okay, well, in order to understand the Quran, you need to understand 14 sciences, you know, I know before you get to. Yeah, well, that, that has to do more with in depth tafsir, that has to do more with applying certain rulings and ahkam. It doesn't, when Allah tells me don't make shirk with him, it's pretty clear. I don't, need, I don't need a scholar to tell me what that means. Allah tells me not to lie, not to steal, not to cheat, not to play with the scales when I'm buying and selling things. Well, this doesn't require a major tafsir. Allah tells us don't make zina, don't gamble, don't drink alcohol. Do, do we need like a scholar to sit down and explain to me what, what gambling, you know, not to, what, how not to gamble or how not to drink alcohol or how not to get involved in toxicants? And intoxicants. These things are clear. This book was meant for those who are extremely intelligent and those who aren't. This book was meant for Arabs and it was meant for non-Arabs. It's not meant for a particular group of people. It wasn't meant for the rich. It wasn't meant for the poor. It was meant for everyone. So we need to take that into account when we deal with the book of Allah Azza wa so Abdalin, we said that these are the individuals who don't have knowledge, but they still act. <coughs> By extension, is Allah's wrath and anger as much on these individuals as the first group? Yes. Hmm. I would say no. Why? Because Allah's he doesn't he doesn't just stop at one group and lump everybody into one group. He's created two groups here. Himself. And those groups are the ones who know, knowingly do something, and the ones who unknowingly do something. Yes, right. They're, they have ill intent. The first group, so that invokes Allah's wrath. It invokes Allah's anger. Allah will be angry at the second group also, but His anger will not be as severe and not as intense, because at the end of the day, they can say what? Well, you know, we, we didn't know. No, they change it. Like they distort and they change it again knowingly. And when you're knowingly doing these things, you are, you are changing. The book of Allah. So, I mean, you're changing uh, the ahkam, you're changing what Allah is saying. And this is, this is really problematic. What do we say about the Muslims for that now? Allah Musta. May Allah guide us and protect us. And, you know, are, are there Muslims who are playing with the book of Allah? Yes, there are. Not in the wording, per se. Because this, this is very challenging, you know. Because Allah has put a divine protection on the Quran, it's impossible to change the actual wording of it but it is possible to change the meaning of some things when you relate it to other people saying no this is what it actually means or no this is what it actually doesn't mean and this is what this is the intent behind the ayah and, and this can be very dangerous this can be very dangerous and the people who do that they usually know what they're doing it, it's not by accident huh is that cool it's a case-by-case -case basis it's a case-by-case -case basis. You, you, cannot, you can't make blanket takfir uh, of an individual who changes the meaning because it depends on how far out of the scope he's changed it. If he's managed to maintain the wording, 
if he has a precedence for what he says, he could be wrong, but it wouldn't be kufr. But if he has no precedence for what he says, and he's, he's outside the wording of the ayah, then yes, it can definitely fall into that. But again, it's a case-by-case -case basis, and you, it's not something that we can say generally that, okay, well, he said this, and that's not what the ayah means, that's kufr. No, that's not always the case. It, it really depends. Um, so, in general, and how do we end Surah Al-Fatiha when we recite? Amin. And this is, a, this is very telling, right? It's not, is Amin an ayah? No, Amin is not an ayah. But why, why do we say Amin? Huh? Or it's for the du'a we make. What does Amin mean? Ya Allah, accept it. Ya Allah, make it so. And that's what the Amin means. And what are we asking Allah to make so? Guidance. Guidance. So inshallah, I hope we were all able to, to benefit from the, this tafsir and from this understanding of Surah Al-Fatiha. I know we spent a lot of time on it, but it's an extremely important surah. If it's the most important surah. <laughs> yes? Guidance or constant guidance? Both. Both. Why do we keep asking for it? Yeah. Meaning that, and, and that's a very good benefit. Why do we have to keep seeking guidance? Every day we learn something. Not, not just every day we learn yeah. something. Huh? Huh? Like your iman fluctuates, right? And there, there could be at any point in time in your life that you can what? You can fall, you can fall astray, and you can deviate. And this is why we are reminded to constantly repeat it in all of our salawat, in all of our prayers. And the, uh, the Prophet Sallallahu he made it very specific to the salawat. Right? It doesn't matter the prayer that you're making. Any prayer. It could be fard, it could be wajib, it could be nafil, it could be sunnah. Every single one of these prayers. Sunnah mu'akkidah, ghair mu'akkidah. It could be the sunnah that we do sometimes. We make this dua, we recite this one, in every single one of those prayers. Every single one. There isn't one where we don't. Because this is meant to be a constant reminder to the Muslims on where they are and where they stand, and how our relationship with our Lord, with Allah should be. Taib, um, I think we have about 10 minutes? Yes. Alright. So what we'll do, inshallah, we'll go into the next surah, which is surah al-Baqarah. Right? Surah al-Baqarah, where, where was it revealed? In Makkah or Medina? Uh-huh. Most of it was revealed in Medina, if not all of it. Um, and when do, when do we say that that was it revealed in Mecca or revealed in Medina? What does that mean? Before or after Hijrah. In general, that's what it means. So, is it possible that a surah was revealed or an ayah was revealed in Mecca after the Hijrah and it's still called Medini? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because this has to do with timeline. It doesn't have to do with the place. And what are some of the benefits of? No yes. Sorry. What is the um, why did Allah Okay, that's a very good question. Why did Allah Azawajal reveal the Quran piecemeal? And not even direct. Yeah, yeah, and not even in order. Yeah. Right, not even in order, like, you know, just a piece here, a piece here, a piece here. And the Prophet Sallallahu every year he would say, place this before that, put this after this. Yes. Um, so why did Allah Azawajal do that? Why did Allah Azawajal reveal the Quran piecemeal? Well, there were certain events. Okay. Uh, there are certain events, there were contextual events that required the revelation at those certain points. Yes? Uh, okay, the same thing with the brother said that it's significant to the moment. It was contextual. There was, a, there was an event that happened that triggered the, the revelation. Yes? Okay, to ease the people into Islam, right? Imagine if all of the ahkam came at once. And this is, it comes in a hadith Aisha. Where she said, had the prohibition for khamar, for the prohibition for alcohol, came at the beginning of Islam, <laughs> nobody would have become Muslim. <laughs> Subhanallah. So this, is, this was a wisdom from Allah Azza wa Allah is introducing the religion to mankind. And in order to do that, you have to draw people in what? Slowly. You, you can't just dump them in, you know, okay, here are the 5,000 things you need to know Starting tomorrow No You know it, it has to be piecemeal It has to be piecemeal And oh, The Quran was revealed over A time span of what? 23 years right? It was 23 It wasn't a small amount of time It was a good amount of time Like a quarter century Where the Quran was sent down 
And it was sent down like that as a wisdom from Allah to help ease the people into the religion. Because there were some things that were initially very difficult to take and to comprehend, so they took time into easing into it. Yes? Just to clarify, uh, the formation of surah and the formation of chapters are in the life of Prophet Muhammad or is it after that? It was, this discussion about how we're, what is the order of the surahs, because there, there's a, there's a, there are two studies here, right? There are two contexts, or there's two um, discussions that go on. The order of the surahs, was it something that was revealed, or was it something that was by the ishtihad of the companions, right? That's one discussion. The other discussion is the order of the surahs, the order of the verses, the chapters that we have in the Quran today. Is this something that was revealed? <laughs> I don't know. Is it new prayer? We don't know about. So, <laughs> so uh, the the second of okay. The sec the second discussion is the order of the surahs or the order of the chapters. Is this something that was revealed, or is this something that was done by the ishtihad of the companions? Right. That that's the discussion. As for the verses, wallahu alam. What is apparent to me is that that's something that was revealed. Allah, the order of the, the verses was something that was revealed and the Prophet was very specific in how verses were supposed to be placed in terms of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. When it came to the order of the surahs, I think that there was some ijtihad from the companions. But even with the ijtihad of the companions, you have all of them agreed on. Because all of them agreed on the mushaf. All of them agreed to say, okay, yeah, this is how the mushaf is supposed to be, this is how the Quran is supposed to be. So they agreed that this is supposed to be the order of the surahs. Some of them were revealed, there's no doubt, because the Prophet ﷺ, he would say, put this surah before this surah, and put this surah after this surah. Some of that was there, there's no doubt about that. But there are many cases where the Prophet ﷺ didn't mention where the surah was supposed to be placed. And that, it was there, was room for ijtihad for that. Allah Yes? Uh, the Prophet, uh, the yeah. Okay, these individuals, this is a this is a misconception. They were called Qurra, they weren't called Hufaq. And there's a difference between a Qari and a Hafiz. So those individuals, they were known for their recitation of the Qur'an, but it's possible that they didn't know all of the Qur'an. That's that's very realistic. There are many narrations from Anas radiallahu anh, where he actually named the Hufaq. And there were only like seven or eight. Yeah, they, there weren't a huge number of companions that were Hafiz of the Qur'an. No, I mean, you had, you had people who memorized, even today, like even if we go around this room today, you'll find that this person has seven, this person might have six sipara, this person might have a few, you know, surah memorized. So as a whole, the, the Sahaba had the Qur'an memorized, as a whole. But as individuals, there wasn't a huge number of them. And when they got together to put the Qur'an together in the form of a book, this is when they brought out all the hafal. And the people who are known to be half of the Quran. But like we said, a qari is different from a half of A qari is somebody who just recites. We use a qari today to have a different meaning. Today, we use it to have a different meaning. But during the time of the Prophet, we didn't. And even the Quran being renewed every year, right? Because there are certain verses that were abrogated and removed. And there are certain verses that had come and added in. Um, so, this, because of that change, the Qur'an that we have today is the same one that the Prophet ﷺ recited to Jibreel when? Twice in the last Ramadan. Why? Because why did he even do it twice that year? Because it was complete. It was complete at that point. So that, that's something that's very important. Then the companions, they put the Qur'an together. You know, they put two, they put, uh, they put it in a cover and they put it in the form of a book. But we didn't have any book like this during the time of the Prophet So, um, in terms of how the Quran came to be in the book form that it is today, inshallah, I think we should, we should have a series of lectures on the history of the Quran and how it was put together at another time. But this is just a short introduction of why the Quran was revealed over a period of time and some of the hikam and the wisdom behind that. So the uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, it was revealed in... What, what is the significance of knowing where the Surah was revealed? Context in terms of audience. Jazakallah khair. If you know the audience, if you know who Allah is addressing, then
then this helps you contextually have a better understanding of the surah. So surah al-Baqarah is called surah al-Baqarah. What does Baqarah mean? A cow. A cow, right? It has, it's, a, it's the female cow or the heifer. Why is it named al-Baqarah? Uh-huh. Okay, was was it that cow or was it the Oh, no, no, that, that's Salih. Huh? That Yeah, the one that made sound. The, the calf of Samadhi. Right, Samadhi, he forged this calf out of, out of gold. And this was the gold, actually, that they, when they fought, when they stole from Fir'aun. And, and this is from the Israeliyat. Basically, the night before they were supposed to leave and they were running away from Fir'aun, the, uh, the Jews went and they borrowed all this jewelry and all this gold from, from Fir'aun. And then they ran. <laughs> and then they ran away. So obviously in the morning, Pharaoh found out and everybody else. Because why was the army there? Why did the entire army go after him? And why were they so furious? <laughs> because they wanted their gold back. <laughs> and they're slaves. I mean, they and they're slaves. Like, you know, everything's their property. They're like, you guys are, you are our property running, running away with our property. <laughs> so, right? <laughs> And then they went after it. So what they actually did is the Samadhi said, hey, take this gold now, melt it down, and we'll fashion it into the form of this calf so that we can worship it. And, that, and that's why the surah is named after that. The surah is named after that. In terms of them asking about the baqarah and what kind is it, and what color is it, and what type is it, you know, how does it graze, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. I mean, subhanAllah. Um, you know, sometimes reading those ayat, I, I get angry. <laughs> You know, I I get upset. Like why? Like why? Like why? Why would you do that? Why? You that's know. That's how Muslims are with the cat. That's about. <laughs> 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 Allah Allah make it easy. But so it's named after the calf of Samadhi, right? That's that's why the surah is named. Yes. Yeah, when, when we get to the discussion of the story of Samadhi, inshallah, we'll talk more about it in detail then. But right now, I, I'm just talking about why is it, what is the name of the surah? Why is it named after that? And, and this gives us significance and this gives us context. Because Allah named it Baqarah, what, what does that show? What can we benefit from the name of the surah? Because does the discussion of the Baqarah take place from the beginning to the end? No, it's, it's a very, very small section of the surah. So, what are some things that we can take away from just the naming? Uh-huh. Yeah. It has to do with disobeying Allah. No. The significance, because the, the Baqarah is a, a symbol of what? Shirk is a symbol of disobedience. Yes. So talking about He continues the discussion because what what is the second ayah of uh, Baqarah? Right? Allah He's continuing the discussion of it. He's continuing this because what did we say about Fatiha? What does Fatiha mean? The opening of what? The Quran. The opening of the Quran. The opening chapter of the Quran. The introduction. To the Quran That everything that comes after this surah Everything that comes after this chapter is what? It's not just a continuation It's an explanation of what is going Of this surah Everything that comes after the surah Is going to be an explanation of it This is an introduction of the concepts that are in it Because Allah <coughs> by, by making ishara By talking about Al-Maghdubi alayhim By talking about Dalin, He's talking about the qisas The stories of the people before us Because he mentions those individuals later on Saying Okay he mentions those individuals later on in the Quran so that we learn who they are so that we don't become from them. Allah talks about Tawheed in Surah Al-Fatiha which is something that is very significant. He talks about following his ahkam by him being Maliki Yawm din What are we going to be accountable for? We're going to be accountable for not following the straight path. We're going to be accountable for by not following his commandments. And this is something that's very significant, something that's very important. 
So, the, but in terms of disobedience and shirk, yes, that's what the, the Baqarah symbolizes. And if you look through Baqarah, there are so many ahkam related to it. There are so many places where Bani Israel, they disobeyed Allah. There's a discussion of the munafiqeen. There's a number of things that talk about that disobedience and how this Baqarah is a symbol of that disobedience and how it runs through, this theme runs through the entirety of the surah. But, uh, well, خلاص, we're out of time, inshallah. Tomorrow we'll talk about Alif Lamim, bi-adhillah ta'ala, wallahu alayhi wa sallallahu ala khayri khatin nabina Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And the discussion of Alif Lamim, there is a very long discussion of it, but uh, we'll, we'll, try, we'll, we'll try to shorten it. Jazakum al-khayr.